Stuart Fox. That's me. Hello. I love me. I love me so much. <laughs> it's uh, nice to have you here. Oh uh, yeah, we're happy to be here. There's a load of stuff that people will know you from, but probably the most recent big thing that you did on telly was Michael McIntyre's show, That's right. which seems to have this sort of golden touch with comedy and it's such a big deal now and people go on it and it has a big effect have you noticed absolutely absolutely that's how much i noticed it because my website was just inundated the next day after it last aired and the year aired recently on a repeat too so yeah it's huge as is mock the week i noticed that was significant yeah so mock the week you're on eight out of ten cats as well and that's kind of exploded yeah but mock the week in particular they seem to really enjoy me over there so i've been back a number of times over there eight out of ten cats i don't think they like me really why not well seven of the cats like me but uh no i don't know i don't know i was uh i was a bit snippy with um one of the stars that was on uh, kelly osborne oh really she was just uh, my mom and dad this my mom and dad that and we had not heard who her mom and dad were at the point you know of course we all know but i said "Who, who is your mom and dad just out of curiosity, because you keep talking about them, and I'm trying to play this fish out of water who doesn't know who the hell she is, and she just gave me an icy stare. And I, I don't know if the, the staff like that, that oh, the really? fact that someone would have the audacity to challenge Kelly Osborne, the multi-talented Kelly Osborne. I'm briefly interrupting to let you know that I'm Marsha from yesyesmarsha.com, and this is from a series of interviews that I did from 2009 to 2011 called Marsha Meets, which were long-form interviews with stand-up comedians that eventually inspired the book Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. That book's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. Back to the interview. Mock the Week, you've been on it. Do you enjoy doing it? Well, yeah, in the sense that it's a very aggressive, kind of combative atmosphere. So, yeah, in that sense, two and a half hours of that. And then they just edited it down to a half hour of comedy gold. But, uh, yeah, it's very challenging. I'll say that. But, but do you like that? Because we've had a lot of comics on here who've been on it, and there's quite mixed responses from people. I, I read that and hear that, the negative response, and it's an old boys club and all that kind of malarkey. But uh, they've been lovely to me, and you just got to, you, you know what you're going into, so you prepare yourself emotionally. <laughs> And physically sometimes to go into that environment. No, it's been nothing but a joy for me. But you've actually, you did quite a lot of TV stuff before that even. You're from Canada originally. Yes. Yeah. Did you start doing stand-up in Canada? Yes, I did. Niagara Falls, Ontario. Oh, really? Yeah. Was, uh, yeah Niagara Falls is, just in case any people don't know, it's kind of quite a, I've been there on a fun road trip, but it's they have like a casino there. It's a sort of slightly cheesy holiday destination, but really fun. I would say very cheesy. You were too kind there. Slightly is, no, it's um, Blackpool with a waterfall, I guess is what it is. And you go there, people pack up a two-week vacation, go there, and you get the gist of the waterfall in about 10 minutes. And then you just know there's people who are like, well, what, what the hell are we going to do for the next two weeks? But that's where I started. I lived in Toronto at the time, and my girlfriend at the time signed me up for Amateur Night. And the idea was, if I fail miserably, I can go back to Toronto, which is like an hour and a half away, and live a normal life. And it didn't. It was amazing. It was the highest I've ever felt after a performance. And oh, it, really? Your very yeah. first gig? Oh, it's awesome. So I was so funny. I'm glad we didn't tape it, because I, I would have been proved wrong over and over over the years. But uh, I was incredible. I was punching the air afterwards, just in a huge sense of accomplishment, something that I've... I've guess I've always aspired to do and I, I did it I nailed it and it's just gone from strength to strength since were you working at the time doing something yeah else? I was working in the old post office Canada Post doing what uh not trying to work like I, just inside worker um kind of a manual labor I took a year off college to make some money to go back to college and 10 years later uh I'm still at the post office math then they weren't my uh, strong point so how did you get into doing stand-up full-time? Just from that first gig, I did another gig closer to Toronto, and it went well. And I did one in Toronto, and I just took to it. And it took to me, and it changed my life. And uh, literally within three months, I was getting paid gigs 
which I don't know if that's done over here, but it was pretty rapid over there. And it, I just kept getting stronger, more confident. And uh, here we are today. And what's the comedy scene like in Canada? Dead. Is Absolutely it? dead. It's horrible. <laughs> I go back there. I went back this summer from Montreal, just for Montreal, and I was talking to some of the guys that I work with who are contemporaries of mine over there, and it's just so bleak. The comedy clubs, there's a number of reasons why. It's not just the scene. It's the comedy clubs. There's one in particular that hasn't promoted itself since the late 70s, early 80s, because it didn't have to. It was comedy in Canada, and they chose not to advertise since then, and they just thought they could uh, rule a roost, as it were, without advertising, save on advertising. And it's just, I think the numbers have been affected over the years as a result. It's just dire. It's just really quite depressing. Okay. Thank so you did, for that, by the way. Did, <laughs> did you do acting before you did? No, not really. The... Just in school. I was like myself an actor. I want to do more acting. To, uh, but you no. have done stuff. You were in An American in Canada. Yes. Which was this comedy drama. Yeah with Rick Roberts, nice. uh, which did really well. It oh, it's won... awesome. It won our equivalent of the BAFTA. Ours is a Gemini. It won the Gemini for Best Comedy, and that was our pilot, which is just unheard of. And we had two successful, critically acclaimed seasons, and the uh, CBC, which our BBC, if you will, cancelled it. And uh, we don't know why, because the numbers were good, and it was, uh, I think it was one of those political things, that things that just happened behind the scenes, because on camera, it was a brilliant show, and I was so grateful to have experienced that, and it was one of the highs of my career. And I want to do more of that, and more dramatic acting. Well, you did. You were in Kevin Hill as well, which is the Lord drama. They showed it over here on E4. Yeah, yeah. Was that a fun thing to do? That was awesome. That was the the only thing that I've actually gone out and auditioned for and got the part. So it was very gratifying. Usually someone will see me at a festival or hear my voice or say you'd be good for that. That, I went out and I sat nervously in the audition room and went in and and I nailed it as a... uh, a Jewish, what I was had nothing, no bearing, but it actually said a Jewish uh, veterinarian who killed some people's dog, uh, and, and uh, we had to go to court, and Kevin Hill comes in and does what he does, and it was great, fantastic experience. Have you tried to do any more acting like that? Well, it's not a matter of trying. I've got an agent now who's very aware of the fact that I want to do more acting, um, so everything, I'll take anything that comes my way, and comedy, uh, I'm supporting Ricky Gervais on his autumn tour, and that's very exciting, so anything that comes my way, I'm up for it. You also had your own TV show. Which one uh, You bet you're up. Well, yeah, I was a game show host. Yeah. And if anybody's seen me or maybe can hear me now, you can easily envision me doing that because it's kind of a cheesy. I, and it was lovely. It was a great experience. I was nervous as all get up going in that because um, public reading is not one of my fortes. I'm more of a skimmer at reading. So that was very nerve wracking. But I did that two years and we actually did 54 episodes in 13 days. What? Now, I'll leave you to do the sum. Uh, yeah. Which Seriously? Is, it's illegal in most countries. <laughs> Canada and Sri Lanka are the only two that it's not illegal. Seriously? Honestly. It? And oh I, I thought God. about that the other day there. No, it couldn't have been 54. Yeah. How we're many was that a day? Five, five, five a day we're cranking out. Was it the same audiences? No, no. Thankfully, no. Because who needs that in their life, really? But uh, they'd bring... Well, for the five a day, you, you can come in and leave as the five tape shows went on during the course of the day. So maybe there was people that were in for all five shows, but not for all 54. I was right. the only one there. Even the staff weren't even there for all 54, just the dumb host. But that was a great experience. I made what could have been a cheesy show, I think, better with my wit and just being me. And it, uh, I'm glad I did it because it was stressful going into it. It's the only time in my professional career I've ever thought woke up in a cold sweat like a week before and my wife talked me into it and said you can do this and when you do do this you'll be able to do anything after that and I'm Superman now because anything that comes my way I think I'm up for the challenge. Were you worried that you'd mess it up or were you worried that it would be no good? A little bit of both. It's a game show you know there's a cheesiness attached to game show hosts in North America maybe not so much I think maybe Bob Monkhouse and the guys over here are kind of that way but yeah I was concerned about both ends and because of my approach and what I did to the show it was better and I was good at it I've seen some episodes and I was 
laughing like because I did so many in such a short period of time it was like I was watching it new like I was a fan of the show watching it and I was thinking oh I hope he says this after contestant A commented and it's all and sure enough I would and I oh he's good it was kind of weird it was kind of a surreal moment watching me oh I hope he said oh he's good I did say that and it's based on a Groucho Marx quiz show from the 30s or 40s called You Bet Your Life so that's what they're trying to up it a bit and it's all like um, they'd have young kids on as contestants and it'd be all uh, you know contemporary questions and Stuff, you know, which you want to hear from an old host reading these things about uh, Weezer and bands like that. <laughs> like, uh, I have to ask the young uh, writers, is Weezer? Is that what I'm pronouncing it right? Weezer? Okay, good. But still, that's the thing to have ticked off on things to oh, do in your life. big tick. Oh, absolutely. And then also, uh, you had other bits. You've done quite a few spots on The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. And then you did writing for, amongst other things, The Jay Leno Show. Correct. Tonight, The Jay Leno, which is... It's a huge deal. In yeah, America. it was. It was on NBC. It's been going fifty years. Yeah, um, not with him though. It predated Johnny Carson was the Tonight Show, but before him there was Steve Allen, a couple other guys. But yeah, Jay Leno tried. Uh, and he didn't succeed running it into the ground because he's not a. He's a great stand-up comedian, but he's a horrible host because he doesn't listen to the guests. One episode in particular, he was talking to a young starlet, and he said, "So have you have you been back home lately?" That's how he talks. I have to do it when I do the story, and she said, "Yeah, I was back at my father's funeral recently." Oh, oh, well, that's good. All he heard was the fact that she went back to her father's funeral because he's thinking of his next gag or you know trying to look down her top, which he did all the time. It's just, but anyway, it's now run by a guy named Conan O'Brien. He's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. How did Jay Leno stay on it for so long? Then I don't know. I really he don't was, know. He's like did a big, big chunk. He was on for like a oh, decade. Oh, huge, significant. Wasn't it? Yeah, and about two years ago, he decided he's going to retire, and then maybe six months before his retirement, he got cold feet and said, "I want to stay." And the network said, "No, no, we've already said that Conan's going to replace you," and then. Uh, they gave him, they threw him a crumb and he's hosting a 10 o'clock show, which is on like an hour, hour and a half before the proper Tonight Show. So he's doing that and doing what he does best. And that's writing jokes and doing monologues, which he's brilliant at. But uh, I'm not a big fan of his. I don't know if that's coming across here. In that, in all the years he worked on the Tonight Show, he didn't, uh, he hasn't spent any of the Tonight Show money, which I reckon was, it's easily over a hundred million dollars. And the reason he doesn't do that is because he prides himself on being a nightclub performer. I'm a nightclub performer. So it's really quite despicable that we live in this world where the rich and the poor and that kind of stuff. And this guy's sitting on over 100 mil. And uh, just because he's an everyday man and he's uh, he sees himself as a working comedian, I'm thinking, well, that's that's horrible. That if you're not spending, at least let others you know benefit from it. But that's he's chose not to, and I have a low regard for him. How do you know he hasn't? It's well documented. He doesn't hear himself saying, like, oh, I haven't spent any of that money. And he, he just sees that as, like, how cool are you not spending that money because you're a nightclub performer. And well, all that I'm he's keeping it real. Yeah, yeah. And all I'm hearing is you're sitting on over 100 mil. It's like whenever there's a tragedy like the tsunami, Jay Leno's got a million vehicles, like motorcycles and cars alike, and he, that's what he does. That's his, that's his hobby, and he'll bring on a, one of his fancy motorcycles, and he'll have stars come on and sign it, and then he'll auction that off for 40 grand or something like that for the tsunami relief. And I'm, again, thinking, you're sitting on 100 mil. <laughs> but Conan O'Brien's good. When you wrote, it was for Jay Leno, It was. Right? Anybody could write for it. Anybody could write for it. What you do is you send them a release saying that uh, they can use your jokes on air, and they send you a fax number, and you could just inundate them every day. Just common people could do that. And so it's not that I wasn't a staff writer and uh, I'd sent it was I know guys that I work with that had sent hundreds of jokes over years. It was the eighth joke that I sent that they used and they closed the monologue after a week off. So it's the his writers had a week to come up with a gem and he closed the monologue, which traditionally is the strongest joke of the monologue. And I got a huge laugh. And then coincidentally, talking about Conan O'Brien, just after that, he then introduced Conan O'Brien as the new replacement for uh, David Letterman's late night show because Letterman was now going over to CBS. So there's a nice little um, 
connection there between uh, me and Jay Leno and uh, Conan O'Brien. And this was David Letterman was going over to CBS to do the rival show, wasn't exactly. it? Because he wanted to take over. From... Uh, and I think Johnny Carson, if I know anything about the man, which I like to think I do, he's a hero of mine. I think he realized he made a mistake by giving the job to Jay Leno and not David Letterman because David Letterman was well up for the job. And Letterman would have loved it because there's young, hot uh, girls that he could have been having sex with out in California instead of New York. Although, weirdly, like over here, Letterman feels a lot more famous than Jay Leno does. Yeah, I think so. Because of that, and that's why I'm saying Johnny Carson, I think he missed it on that mm. one. And for whatever reason, he just he gave it to Jay Leno. Although I truly do think maybe saw Letterman as a, a son or something like that. And I don't know what happened there, why Leno got the job over Letterman. Did you read Night Wars? It was a book about those things that were going on because both were vying for the prestigious uh, Tonight Show seat. And Jay Leno, uh, one time he famously hid in an uh, executive's toilet in the cubicle to hear some of the executives talking about their decision. Or it was a uh, it was a conference call, and he was actually in a washroom listening through the crack of the door to hear if he could hear who got the gig. And it's, he's just a sad man. Oh, my goodness. And he's sitting on 100 mil. I don't know if I brought that up. <laughs> so you didn't actually meet him? No, I haven't met him. Right. No, no. I just well, did. From the comfort of my own home right. in Toronto, I sent him a fax, a couple of jokes. And then I lost interest after that. I sent, like, maybe another three or four. Didn't use it. I'll screw this. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So I lost interest. What was the eighth joke? The eighth joke was uh, in North Carolina, a woman with some uh, help from friends used a turkey baster to inseminate herself and is now pregnant. That's one place you don't want to go to for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> boom, boom. So when did you move to the UK? About two years ago. Lived in Spain for about nine months. Oh, uh, from, what were you doing there? I met my wife in Hong Kong and she was nice and warm and minding her own business, as she reminds me on a daily basis. <laughs> and she fell in love with me and moved to Toronto for four winters, as she describes it, because it can get kind of chilly in Toronto. And then it was a lifestyle move. We wanted to find the sun. So we moved to Spain with the intention of me coming up here and working clubs and stuff like that once or twice a month. And we're doing that for about nine months. And things started really happening for me. And she's British, so she could get a job up in London. So it stood to reason that we'd move up here. And how was it when you first came to London? How did you... I've been coming for years. Oh, really? Yeah, I've been a part-time player for, I'd say, about 15 years I've been coming over here. So I carved out a nice little niche for myself in that sense. But now being full-time here, people are starting to commit to me, knowing that I'm here. I'm proper UK. i got a British passport and all that kind of stuff. I'm doing it. And if the Canadian stand-up scene is so shonky, did yeah. you, when you used to come over for gigs, did you feel a kind of affinity to British audiences? Of course. Both my parents are British. So I have a British sense of humor. I'm raised with Brits. watch a lot of British television. watch a lot of American television. I'd like to think of the amalgamation that I am as a result of those two great nations and their comedy. So now you're here, yes. and are you here for the long haul Forever. Now? You wouldn't go back? <laughs> uh, I have a place back there still, and I will go back there just to see friends and family and, uh, and play hockey here whenever I get a chance. But uh, professionally, I will always be here. I'm, maybe when I retire, I'll have a place there still, and I'll go back there for those reasons. But in terms of working? Yeah, i got to be here. Because there's more work here, or because you Everything. fit better here? All that. Money's better. The level of, the things that have happened to me in this short period of time, like about a year ago, things really started taking off for me. I've been doing comedy in Canada for about 17, 18 years. I was on a, an award-winning sitcom. I, you know, I, I was popping up. My game show was on 16 times a week. And I, not that I need pats on the back or anything like that. But no one knows who I am. I was a, a viable television star over there. And it's not just because of that. It's just the recognition, not just from people, punters in the street, not to say just, but professionally, I wasn't getting any accolades or any, uh, you would think you're on a sitcom, you get that or someone will offer you, to, you know, nothing, absolutely nothing. Why there's do you no, think that was? There's no star system in Canada. That's why so many of us have to either go to the States or come over to the UK or go further afield. In what way, nice sauce? Just we don't recognize it. Jim Carrey, a megastar, like he'd been plying his trade in Canada, Toronto for years before he moved down to Hollywood. We just don't recognize it. And it's wonderful. It's nice that we are that kind of, it's not apathy, but it's like we're just so, oh, well, you know. 
he'll probably get good or she'll probably get good and just move away anyway. So it's not just, it's not consciously done, but it's just perplexing. Then you come over here. I've been here for two years and I'm doing everything now. Everything I wanted to do back home, I'm doing here, which is unfortunate. One or two people have succeeded back home without moving. And that's exceptional. Who do you mean? There's a guy named Brent Butt, who's a brilliant stand-up comedian. And he did a, a hilarious sitcom called Corner Gas. And... um that's the only one that comes to mind. And that's sad because we got so many talented people that just had to up and leave because you got to pay bills and stuff like that. You want to uh, financially reap the benefits that your talent warrants, if you will. Does that filter down into, like, if Brad Pitt was walking down the street, do you think all the Canadians would go, yeah, whatever? I think, yeah, it's lovely, though, isn't it? I'm sure a lot of Brits go over there and just, I think we're respectfully polite. Like, oh, there's, oh, yeah, he's famous. He's my favorite actor. Should I go say it? No, I won't go say something. I'll just sit here. That's it. It's lovely for the person who's sitting, Brad Pitt, who's walking down the street minding his own bee. I'm surprised that more, in the way that there's a lot of people, you know, like Robbie Williams, kind of British pop Mm. stars, who go over to America, to L.A., to live because they say, oh, I don't get hassled there. I'm kind of surprised more people don't move to Canada for that reason. Yeah, absolutely. Robbie Williams was on a show called The Mike Bullard Show, and this is at the height of Robbie's career. Mega in most parts of the world. And he was in the green room, and someone that writes for was on the show, a friend of mine said, uh, no one knew who he was. And, you know, the girl came in, and, are you, are you with are you with anyone? Because you, you're not supposed to be back. It's like, he probably had a wee chuckle. <laughs> yeah, probably the, the best-selling uh, recording artist in the world right now. But no, I'll, I'll be fine here. But that's just Canada for you. Should you be here? You should have your pass, sir. And it's just really quite adorable. So, I'm yeah, surprised people there. don't use it as a refuge. Absolutely. They do. Sense. They do. A lot of Hollywood stars uh, in Muskoka, which is north of Toronto. That's cottage country. Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell have a place up there for those reasons. Oh, really? Uh, there's Kurt Russell and uh, Goldie Hawn. Oh, well, cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's lovely. So you've got this big tour coming up. As you mentioned, you're supporting Ricky Gervais. How did I that am, come about? Uh, I'd like to think through talent. But just through connections, uh, my agent, my new agent is his agent, and things just fell into place. I think he was familiar with my work, and just good fortune on my part. Have support. you met him before? I did. I did a couple of shows a month and a bit ago up in Scotland. And if you get a chance to hang around with Ricky Gervais in five-star hotels for an extended period of time, I highly recommend it. <laughs> he is a delight. Great kisser. How are you with doing big venues? It is what it is. Any anxiety I get, uh, big shows, little shows, is just remembering what I want to do that night. So that's fine in front of a bunch of people. You, the timing, sometimes you have to wait just a second or two for it to kind of go to the back of the room and come forward, or, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's lovely. And he obviously draws pretty amazing audiences. So I'm just going to bask in that for the 22 and a half minutes I'm on. I suppose because you do one-liners, don't you? There's yeah. not so much, you know, where are you from, where are yeah, you from, yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah. Do you ever do that with audiences? Not, not, tend not to. <laughs> when you first started out doing no, stand-up? No, no, no. Uh, I tend not to because uh, I'm kind of locked and loaded with what I want to do and... Um, you know, I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm almost too considerate to that extent. Like, so-and-so just came out to the show. They don't want to be asked what they do for a living. And I, I get the fact that some people do want that. But I, I don't want to put someone on the spot and make fun of them. And I've got some stuff I've prepared for the evening. So I'd just as soon go and do that. And then you've got your own tour, which... Tour uh, de Francis. Yeah, starts, loads of dates. Yeah, it starts October 9th in Birmingham and ends in tears, as I say. But all the dates are on my website, stuartfrancis.com. And just quickly, how are you with going on tour? Are I you- haven't really done it. This is my very first tour. This is my very first podcast, promoting my very first tour. I'll take it as it comes. I'm looking forward to it. And doing Ricky shows in the middle of it all, instead of it being intense of me doing one an hour and a bit shows five nights a week, I'll be able to break it up with his glorious shows and staying in fantastic hotels and drinking from mini bars with him. Brilliant. So all of it is up on your website. Yes. Which is just stuartfrancis.com, which is spelled S-T-E-W-A-R-T. Thank you. Yes. Thanks so much for coming Thank on. you very much. 
Thanks so much for listening. If you like that, you'll probably love the book that I put together with Deborah Francis White called Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. So asking them things like, what's your writing process? How do you find your voice? What do you think about touring? How do you deal with hecklers? We interviewed 42 stand-ups, including Eddie Izzard, Sarah Millican, Phil Jupiter, Stuart Lee, Mark Maron. It's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. If you want to find out more, go to Yes Yes marsha.com forward slash off the mic.